Hello, you're listening to On Israel in Al Monitor. I'm Ben Kaspit from Tel Aviv. Representatives of uh, world powers and Iran convening in Vienna are busy looking for a formula to square the circle and allow the U.S. and Iran to return to negotiations and even to the nuclear agreement that uh, the U.S. abandoned in a Trump era until now without any success. Meanwhile, Israel continues to warn, to threaten, and to maneuver within the tremendous tensions between the diplomatic approach and the military option in the face of what Prime Minister Naftali Bennett calls Iran's nuclear blackmail of world powers. Hopes that uh, Israel in the post-Netanyahu era would not clash in public with its closest ally on the Iran issue and uh, that all the disagreements between the sides would be ironed out behind closed doors are being dashed one after another. Things aren't as bad uh, as they were between Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and President Barack Obama at the time, but nothing good is likely to come out of this current situation. Is Israel reading the map correctly? Does Israel know how to analyze Iran's thinking, forecast its moves, and enter into Iran's shoes for the sake of uh, simulation war games? The answers to uh, these questions are complex. From an intelligence point of view, Israel is the biggest and most important repository of Iran-related intelligence in the world. It has been updating its allies for years on developments between Tehran and Furdue, Qom and Iraq, not the other way around. The question is whether its intelligence is sufficient in order to understand the Iranian narrative, foresee its moves, moves and analyze various scenarios. Our guest today is one of the most popular and credible Israeli analysts on Iran. Following two decades of service in military intelligence, Dr. Raz Zimt has become the authority on the Iran arena in general and its nuclear program in particular. Zimt holds a PhD in the history of the Middle East from the Tel Aviv University. He is a senior fellow at the Institute for National Security Studies and one of the most knowledgeable and fascinating voices in Israel's attempts to understand Iran. Dr. Zimt, joins us right after this short break. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Hagedorn, and I'm the State Department correspondent at El Monitor. And I'm Joe Snell, I'm El Monitor's video editor. Let's admit it, this past year has been difficult to stay on top of the news and sift through what's accurate and what's misleading. Let El Monitor help you. If you care about the Middle East and North Africa, you should consider listening to El Monitor's audio series on the Middle East with Andrew Parasoliti and Amber and Zaman, and On Israel with Ben Caspi. You can now watch our newest video podcast, Reading the Middle East with Gilles Capel. You can subscribe to these series on your favorite podcast platforms. And through a host of free daily and weekly newsletters, we offer a range of perspectives with the highest journalistic standards. You can subscribe to these newsletters at almonitor.com. As an award-winning media service headquartered in Washington, D.C., Almonitor has a network of over 160 contributors around the world. So if you haven't done so already, be sure to visit almonitor.com, where you can find all of these newsletters and podcasts along with first-class reporting and analysis. Now I'm privileged uh, to say hello and welcome here uh, to Al Monitor uh, on Israel, 
דוקטור רז צימט. How are you doing, רז? שלום, thank you for joining us. שלום, I'm doing great, thank you. Let's uh, dive into business, uh, like we say, and my first question is that uh, we are all, we all remember the widespread Israeli support when President Trump announced that he was pulling the U.S. out of the deal with Iran. Looking back now in retro- retrospect, uh, can one concede that Trump's decision was a disaster, that instead of improving the situation, it only served to make it worse? Well, I will, I will certainly say that it was a strategic mistake. And uh, I will also say that it was a predictable mistake. Uh, because uh, at the end of the day, if you want to assess the success or failure of this or any other strategy, all you have to do is to look uh, at one question, whether the political objectives of this uh, strategy were met. Now, uh, I remember when I tried to convince my colleagues in Israel that uh, this was a flawed strategy uh, two years ago, uh, people were saying, yes, but look at the economic uh, crisis in Iran, inflation and unemployment and economic uh, decline. And then I had to remind them that the economic issue was just the means, not the objective. I mean, if you ask uh, President Trump or Benjamin Netanyahu, Uh, where, where do you want to see uh, Iran in a number of years? They would certainly say, uh, we want to change Iran's policy. That, that was uh, at the very least. Some would perhaps say that we would like a regime change in Iran. And then if you look today, uh, yes, the economic situation in Iran is very bad and we'll, we can discuss it later, but certainly the political goals were not, uh, were not met. Uh, Iran, did not change its policy, or I would say it, it did change its policy, but on the wrong di- direction. It, uh, it actually started uh, perhaps uh, uh, doing nothing after Trump decided to leave the deal. And if you'd asked me the same question uh, back in 2019, perhaps I would say, uh, I would give you a, a different answer. But, but uh, as soon as Iran, uh, back in May 2019, uh, exactly a year, After Trump's decision to leave the deal adopted the so-called the maximum uh, resistance strategy, it was very clear that Iran was not going to, uh, to be forced into more concessions, but just to make more progress in its uh, nuclear uh, program. You know, when I talk to our, our uh, people here that supported most of them the, this, uh, this was what we just called strategic uh, uh, mistake. They say, listen, uh, Trump did not have enough time. It, was, it happened too, too late in his uh, presidency. So he needed three, four or five years in order you know, to, to, to establish uh, one of the three uh, results that we thought will happen. If we are talking about the maximum pressure strategy, you just uh, mentioned the maximum, uh, the, the Iranian side. So I think this, this our side hoped that either the, the regime will collapse or uh, the Iranians will crawl back to a, a, a better deal or Trump will, uh, will uh, launch an attack, a military strike on the infrastructure of the, the, the Iranian nuclear program. Nothing of these three uh, options happened. And uh, I wanted to ask you, maybe it was uh, because they didn't have enough time. This is the, 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 I think the formal reason that they give me. 
Look, it, if it was just for, uh, if, if, it, if there was only one problem with the maximum pressure strategy, which was that uh, President Trump was not reelected, and if it was the, the only false assumption uh, on which the strategy we based, I would say, well, perhaps they were right. But in my view, uh, there were at least three other uh, false and unrealistic assumptions uh, of President Trump and Benjamin Netanyahu. The, the second one was uh, uh, Trump's readiness to use military force. And already back in 2019, I remind you that uh, since the summer of 2019, Iran carried out several attacks on, uh, on oil, uh, um, uh, oil uh, infrastructure in, yeah, in, in the Persian Gulf, and then the, the American UAV, and of course, then in September, the, the big unprecedented attack uh, by the Revolutionary Guards in Saudi Arabia. And the only reaction coming from the Washington was uh, tweets uh, used by, by President Trump. But I, I would like to address two other uh, very severe and, and unrealistic uh, assumptions. One is that economic pressure would force Iran into uh, more concessions. Now, I'm from the beginning assessed that that, that was not going to, to happen, not because Iran is, uh, is not vulnerable to pressure. But uh, first of all, because uh, my view was that the Iranian regime, the Iranian leadership considered, Trump, considered Trump's decision to leave the deal as the ultimate proof that all the, the, the United States wants is a regime change in Iran. Because the, the perception of Iran, and especially of Khamenei, the Supreme Leader, for years has been that the United States should not be trusted and that the nuclear issue is just the, the, the pretext, just an excuse for the United States to put more pressure on Iran. So Khamenei kept saying again and again, even if we agree to stop all our nuclear activities uh, and give up our nuclear uh, program, that would make no change because the problem the United States has with Iran is not with a nuclear Iran, but with an Islamic Iran. And when Trump decided to leave the JCPOA, it was considered and presented by Khamenei as the ultimate uh, proof that he was right all along. Now, the, the, the Iranians have always considered the nuclear option as, uh, I would say, an insurance for the stability of the regime. Now, if you consider your, your nuclear program as an insurance, as an uh, insurance for the stability of the regime, no matter how pressure uh, you're facing, you will never give it, give it up. Uh, the second problem was that uh, when you put economic pressure on Iran, uh, you tend to, uh, to, to, uh, dis, uh, to disregard the fact that in the, in the past, Iran managed to deal with sanctions. Uh, I remember Foreign Minister Zarif saying that uh, uh, the, only, the, the, the only real advantage Iran has, or one of the advantages, is that Iran holds a PhD in circumventing the, the, the sanctions. So they know, they know how to deal with sanctions. The other uh, flawed or unrealistic uh, assumption was that even if Iran uh, doesn't, is not ready to make more concessions, then the economic pro problems will become so uh, extreme that the Iranian uh, people will go to the streets and, that the, and then we will see a regime change, which of course uh, uh, was, uh, was a flawed assumption because we know how the Iranian regime is, uh, uh, knows how to, how to deal with uh, uh, protests in Iran. Uh, and we know that 
economic pressure does not result necessarily in a regime change, especially in a country like Iran. You know, I remember since uh, the days of Ephraim Halevi as the Mossad chief in Israel, I think uh, something like 20 years ago, they promise us every time that the regime is going to fall down, the, the Ayatollahs will not hold, it's a matter of time, and time passes and nothing happens, and, and I want us to speak a little about it, but first let's go, let's go to square one. Can you get uh, into Iran's head? How they are making their decisions? Let's start with the obvious question. Are they, are, are they determined to reach military nuclear capability? Or is the famous alleged fatwa issued uh, uh, at the time by Khomeini banning a nuclear bomb still relevant or, or, or is it fake? Okay, if we want to understand Iran's nuclear strategy, uh, I think we have to go back to the second half of the, of the 1980s when they, when, when they um, made a decision to renew their nuclear program, which was stopped, which stopped actually after the Islamic Revolution, because the Khomeini and the Islamic regime considered considered the nuclear program of the Shah as another example of this wasteful, uh, unnecessarily plans of, of the Shah. But then, uh, what are the lessons? One of I would say the main lessons learned by Iran following the Iran-Iraq War was that Iran has to develop uh, a major deterrence against its enemies, because as you all remember, Iran was facing uh, Saddam Hussein, the Iraqi ruler who was even ready to, to use a chemical weapons against Iran, and Iran had, uh, had uh, no response. It, 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 it had nothing to do. But, so one of the lessons learned by that is that Iran has to renew its nuclear program. Now, uh, it, uh, and it doesn't matter who the, who the enemy will, uh, will be. So my, my sense is that Iran still wants to become a nuclear threshold state and not necessarily uh, have uh, obtained nuclear weapon. Uh, over the years, I would say Iran uh, understood that there is a bit, very big difference between the, the, the way the international community and mainly the United States are treating countries uh, which has uh, nuclear uh, capabilities such as uh, uh, North Korea and countries which, which don't, like Iraq. And I, I remember after Muammar Gaddafi was uh, toppled by the uh, by the opposition, uh, there were discussions in Iran saying if 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 only Muammar Gaddafi uh, would have kept his nuclear capabilities, yes. uh, nobody would do anything against Muammar Gaddafi. So I think that that that, that uh, my sense is that Iran has not made a decision yet to break out for a nuclear weapon. And when they hear the assessments given by uh, Israeli and US uh, officials, including intelligence officials saying that Iran is still uh, two years away from nuclear we weapon, my conclusion is that no such a decision was made. Iran wants to reach the threshold position and, and that the only thing which will separate it from obtaining nuclear weapons is one political decision to be made by the supreme leader, and second is uh, uh, not a very considerable uh, uh, time, be something between weeks or, or or a few months. Okay, now how, can you tell me how how is Iran dealing with the situation these days? On on the one hand, their economy is in free fall and public unrest seems to be uh, growing. On the other hand, the Americans are uh, signaling weakness and the other powers aren't really interested in a clash with Iran. 
So, so is Iran simply trying to get the best deal possible in negotiations or should uh, or had it decided to, to exhaust the West and, uh, and uh, tread water? Maybe we should say heavy water all the way to a nuclear bomb. Well, I, I think this is the main question right now as we, we uh, as the Vienna talks have, have resumed. It's, it's, it's very difficult for me to say whether Iran has made a decision to go back to the JCPOA and all it wants is to uh, obtain more leverage uh, to get more concessions from, from the other side, or that it has made a decision not to go back to the, to the JCPOA and only, all it wants is to, is to waste more time. I, I would say that uh, Khamenei and the Islamic, the Iranian regime have good reasons to go back to the JCPOA, but it also has very good reason not to go back to the JCPOA. Because on the one, one hand, you can certainly say that Iran is facing a very, very bad economic situation. Let me emphasize, Iran is not on the verge of economic collapse. There has been even some positive developments over the last two years, for example, increase in, uh, in oil exports from Iran, uh, mainly to China. Uh, we've seen a very slight economic growth this year, uh, at least according to the predictions of both the World Bank and, uh, uh, and the IMF. Um, but, but still there is uh, inflation of around 45%, a very big uh, budget uh, deficit, and even the economic growth is not sustainable. In addition, as you said, there, there is growing uh, protests going on in, in Iran. But on the other hand, the assessment, I would say, of the Islamic regime right now is that uh, even though there is economic uh, crisis, they can certainly survive it uh, uh, through what they call the resistance economy or resilient economy uh, through the assistance of, of, of China. They also assess that they can certainly deal uh, successfully with the growing protests going on in, in, in Iran. So I would say that it's, it's, it's very difficult to say what, what at the end of the day Khamenei would, would, uh, would uh, rather have, whether he would go, he wants to go back to the JCPOA, uh, remove most of the economic problems or at least some of the problems and get a, a, a relatively stability, which is very important in Iran right now because we, we are approaching the post Khamenei era. All that he prefers the status quo, surviving economically, but reaching the threshold nuclear uh, position. If I were Khamenei, I would definitely choose the first option. I would, I would like uh, more stability in, 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 uh, in the present uh, times, but we have to remember Khamenei is old. He, want, he thinks more and more about his legacy. He certainly doesn't trust the Americans. And uh, I would say that the bottom line is that I believe Iran wants to go back uh, uh, to a deal, but only in its own terms. Okay, so now we reach uh, what we say in Hebrew, the, the elephant in the room, uh, the, the very delicate and, uh, and worrying question of the so-called military option. It's not only uh, Israel's, it should be uh, even the US military option, but let's, let's start trying to understand it. It's not secret. The only time Iran suspended its uh, weapons-related activities was in 2003 when the U.S. invaded Iraq and Iran feared it might uh, be the next in line. Is the use of force the only language Iran understands? Is Israel's demand that the U.S. present a, a concrete military option against Iran something that could get Iran moving in the right direction, or is uh, this an illusion? 
and if this will not happen, uh, I think uh, the chances that it, it will happen are very, very slim. How does Iran view the threats emerging from Israel? The talk about reviving the Israeli military option and prospects of an Israeli strike in its uh, territory. Is Iran taking these threats seriously or is it uh, discounting them? Well, first, I wouldn't say that the, the use of force is the only language Iran understands, because let me let me remind you that back in 2013 to 2015, Iran agreed to renegotiate and even roll back some of its uh, nuclear uh, progress it made uh, due to other reasons, economic pressure, the US uh, um, position that it was for the first time ready to accept and recognize Iran's right to enrich uranium, uh, the change in the uh, Iranian administration, Ahmadinejad was gone, Rouhani was elected. Uh, the second thing is that we have to remember that there is a great difference between what happened in 2003 and, and today. Back in 2003, I, I think Iran really believed and really assessed that there was a very big uh, uh, possibility that the, the US is going to, uh, to use military force against Iran, just as it's used uh, military force against Afghanistan and Iraq. Today, it's a totally different story. Today, uh, Iran is in position uh, to believe that the, the US is moving away uh, from the Middle East and that, the, that there is a difference perhaps between Israel and the United States. Israel perhaps is more ready to use military force, but, uh, but perhaps it, it can't do that. And the United States is, is, uh, is uh, capable of doing that, but doesn't want to do that. So uh, I don't think that the, that only threats and talks and even military uh, exercises will be enough to convince the Iranians that uh, they they might face uh, an immediate military uh, option. When it comes to Israel, I would say I would have to say that uh, I, I can't I can't think that uh, that Iran. Um, is not taking into consideration this possibility. But at the end of the day, uh, they, they know how to read the Israeli media. They know that uh, when, Iran, when, Israeli, when Israeli officials uh, speak about the need to, uh, uh, to um, uh, refresh operational programs, to buy uh, certain types of uh, ammunition, uh, to, uh, to be engaged in more exercises, that means that Israel right now is in no position to use military force. It might take months, it might take years for that. And, and the second thing is that uh, I, I think that Iran is still in a position that uh, Israel will be very, uh, it will be very difficult for Israel to use military option unless it receives at least green light from the United States to use that. And of course, it's very obvious that the United States doesn't want uh, such an, uh, a military option uh, to be used, mainly because of the, uh, of the implications that might have on US forces in the region and, and the possibility of a regional escalation. Yes, and we, we just have in Israel a few publications that claim that uh, the United States asked Israel right now not to act uh, in Iran, not uh, intelligence or covert or commando or whatever, not to interfere with the, with the efforts to, to renew the negotiation or to go back to the, to the agreement. But finally, I want to ask you about the, the Iranian public, the Iranian people, because you follow them so closely in, in the last one or two decades. 
to what extent is the Iranian public on the same page as the regime? And I'm not talking only about uh, getting get to, to be nuclear. I, I think I think more interesting is to talk about the Islamic Revolution. You know, there is. I, I, I am sure you saw there was a, a, a famous video on, on the, the channels on YouTube and everywhere when they, they showed a, 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 an airplane, a passenger airplane flying from Tehran to London. And uh, as, as, uh, as, as when they came into the, the, the British airspace, within one or two minutes, all the passengers changed their outfits and they came in the, the airplane as, as, you know, Islamic radicals and the conservative and they came out of, of the airplane like, like, like foreigners, I'm sorry, like, like Westerners, totally, you know, the, the, the women put makeup and, and took off the burqas, etc. So we think that the Iranian public is not there anymore in the, the famous Islamic revolution as it was presented by, by, by Khomeini, but maybe I'm wrong. Look, I, I follow the social developments in Iran very closely for, for, for the last two decades. I, I will say this. First of all, it's, it's very difficult to speak uh, about the Iranian public. There are 85 million Iranians. Uh, some of them support the regime, some of them uh, uh, are against the regime. Uh, you know, when, whenever I'm asked, do you think that Iran is on the verge of a revolution? I, I, I usually say, I don't think so, but, but if tomorrow morning uh, there will, I will hear in the news that there, wa there was a revolution in Iran, I will be able to, to explain very good why it happened. Because, uh, yes, you are right, there is certainly a growing gap between the Iranian public, the Iranian population, mainly the young generation or some of the young generation and, and the Iranian regime. Uh, not just because of the failures of the regime to uh, to provide uh, and to address the grievances of, of the population and the economic crisis in Iran and other uh, uh, cultural and social and demographic uh, uh, trends, but 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 uh, because many of the Iranians are are indeed walking away from those revolutionary uh, ideals of the, the late 1970s. Having said that, I think that while we should uh, certainly not underestimate the power or the influence of the Iranian public opinion, we can certainly not underestimate the, the, the abilities and capabilities of the regime. And it's not just about the oppression. Uh, people usually think that it's only because of the oppression uh, that the Iranian regime is, is able to, uh, to continue uh, living. It's not that. It's not just about that. Uh, first of all, there are still um, uh, some, uh, um, uh, some uh, groups within the Iranian society which support the regime, or whether because of ideological reason or because they are dependent on it. If, if I were an Iranian uh, teacher and I have to work for the government and I'm dependent on the government for, uh, for my salary, for the uh, health insurance, I would I would think twice before I, I go to the streets and uh, uh, and uh, protest against the regime. And then you have the weaknesses of the protests in Iran. Yes, there are many protests in, in Iran, but still they are sporadic. They are mainly about economic issues rather than about political change. Uh, uh, they, 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 we still don't see this kind of coalition between sectors as we saw in the, in the late 1970s. And perhaps I will say last thing, which is many Iranians, uh, when, you, when you ask many Iranians, why don't you go to the streets 
uh, by millions, uh, because even, even in November 2019, during the protest, the big protest in Iran, there were not more than, uh, I would say, uh, three or four hundred thousand Iranians in the streets. And when you ask many Iranians, one, why don't you go more to the streets, some of them would tell you because the alternative might be worse. Uh, we had our revolution 43 years ago, it failed. And when we look around the Arab world, what happened in Syria, what happened in Egypt, what happened in Libya, we, we do not like the, the, the regime in Iran. We would love to go to wake up tomorrow morning and see different regime, but we might get uh, a civil war, we might get uh, the revolutionary guards taking control of the of, of, of the, the government. We don't want that. So I think that the bottom line is that uh, if someone, and I personally would like to see a regime change in Iran, but you can't base your strategy on uh, having a regime change in Iran uh, any, anywhere or else soon. And when it will happen, I, I allow myself to add, it will happen like uh, what, whatever happened to the Soviet Union. It will be very, very sudden. But uh, I think ultimately it will happen, but it, you know, no one knows when. Dr. Raz Zimet, it was fascinating and very interesting. I uh, thank you again for joining us here in uh, Al Monitor. We'll take now a short break and come back uh, after it with some uh, final thoughts. Toda, thank you very much, Raz. Thank you. Hello, I'm uh, Gilles Kepel, professor at uh, Sciences Po and Normal Sup in Paris and author of a number of uh, books and articles on the Middle East. Through my new podcast, Reading the Middle East on the award-winning media service and monitor, we will take a deep dive into the trends in the region with the authors and thought leaders who are shaping how we think about the Middle East. Reading the Middle East will be a fantastic addition to Al Monitor's outstanding podcast lineup, including including On the Middle East with Andrew Paraziliti and Amber Inzaman, and On Israel with Ben Kaspit. You can subscribe on your favorite listening platforms. We look forward to your joining our conversation. Thank you for staying with us. I think one of the most important points in this uh, very interesting uh, conversation with Dr. Raz Zimet was when I asked him uh, what is the main reason that uh, makes Iran so determined to, to get uh, nuclear weapons. And he said that uh, it's actually uh, uh, its need to get major deterrence against its enemies he said that uh, the, the seeds were planted uh, during the Iran-Iraq war when uh, the Iraqis used the uh, chemical weapons of, of mass destruction and the Iranian, Iranians didn't have any answer. And the, the regime understood that without being a, a superpower of, uh, of uh, uh, unconventional weapons, they will not be stable. Uh, another thing that he said that he's not sure that, that this, the final decision uh, was already made to get the bomb. Uh, maybe, said uh, Dr. Tzimet, that uh, the, the leaders in Iran, uh, he meant, uh, of course, Ayatollah uh, Khamenei, 
are going now to, to be a threshold state, a nuclear threshold state, and then to, to, to place Iran in a, in a situation, uh, not necessarily a nuclear state, but a situation then that uh, within uh, one decision, one more decision, there will be only weeks or maybe a few months be, be, uh, between this decision and, uh, and uh, obtaining uh, nuclear weapons. This is maybe, in Dr. Azimet's opinion, the ideal point that right now the Ayatollahs are, are uh, going to. Another good example he gave us is uh, the fate of uh, the late uh, dictator Muammar Gaddafi in, from Libya. The Iranians saw how, uh, how the, the international community, NATO and all the other uh, players uh, treated uh, uh, Gaddafi that uh, did not get uh, nuclear weapons, although he had a nuclear program, but he, but he, he agreed to, uh, to get rid of this program in order to, to get many benefits from the West. But then when he was fighting for his life, political and real life, he was not nuclear and he was treated uh, in a total different way than, for example, President Trump treated North, North Korea. And of course, Dr. Tzimet agrees to the, what, what most of uh, the analysts in Israel are thinking, that uh, making President Trump or convincing President Trump to get out of the, uh, the agreement, uh, the nuclear agreement with Iran was a strategic mistake. In Iranian eyes, it was the ultimate proof that the United States of America is not uh, after the, the nuclear program, but after the, the regime. They want a regime change. And uh, by the way, he said, Dr. Tzimet, that Iran, uh, unlike what we all thought about the maximum pressure strategy, Iran, even today, suffering so long from the sanctions, uh, its economy is not on the verge of uh, economic collapse. This is all uh, b bad news, but uh, ultimately he agreed one day the regime will be changed, but no one knows when it will happen. I hope you found it interesting, and uh, ho I hope to find you here next week uh, on the same time, in the same place. I am Ben Kaspit from Tel Aviv. Take care. Bye-bye.